the guest list tonight. Chetnik Bash scours partisans in Yugoslavia. Idi Amin grabs Ugandan president in day of angry giraffes. And Anne Boleyn makes it official with King Henry. Plus, coming up, we reveal whether dinosaurs were really just giant chicken sandwiches. Those are the headlines. Flog me till I bleed. News bang. Unraveling the ball of confusion one fact at a time. 1944. On this day in 1944, history was made for all the wrong reasons. In a small village called Bayar, Yugoslavia, the Chetniks held an emergency meeting to complain about Allied support for their arch-rivals, the Partisans. It seems these Chetniks couldn't stand to see others getting all the attention and decided it was time to have a whinge. They'd even invited some high-ranking Axis officers along as their plus ones. The event, known as the Bar Conference, was so secretive that most invitees thought they were attending a bring-your-own-orgy and turned up in nothing but strategically placed bandanas. Fisticuffs ensued before order was restored, with several hearty slaps on backsides and another round of rakia all around. Alas, it was too little too late. The damage had been done both politically and on a personal level between Dajan and Boris over that whole sausage incident last October. In hindsight, perhaps inviting Winston Churchill dressed as Matahari wasn't such a good idea after all. 1971. And tonight, a sensational coup d'etat in Uganda as Idi Amin staged a bloodless takeover of the presidency from Milton Obote while he was out shopping for ties. Obote, known as the Dapper Dictator, was overthrown by his right-hand man, who is now being called Amin with an iron fist. Witnesses say the power grab happened at lightning speed. One minute we were under one dictator, said Bubalabadu. The next thing you know, it's another madman. Idi Amin has promised to rule with an iron barge pole and has already banned laughing at his expense on pain of no dinner. The British government have issued a statement saying they are appalled but won't do anything about it. Meanwhile, in Uganda itself, the mood is mixed. Some welcome the change, others are worried about their human rights being eaten alive by crocodiles. Either way, it looks like eight years of fun and games lie ahead for this unassuming African nation. Ebitisite Fenistu. 1533. And now, to our main story. The year is 1533, and it's a right royal rumpus at the palace as Henry VIII marries his second wife, Anne Boleyn. But little does she know that in just a few short years, she'll be off with her head. Yes, history records this as the start of the English Reformation. Not to be confused with an ugly dress trend, but rather the split from papal authority. Anne secretly weds Henrik von Tudor in April, and by May is crowned Queen Consort of England. Sadly for her, her ex-boyfriend, some fellow called Romeo or something, won't let go and causes quite a kerfuffle. Enter Thomas Cromwell Esquire, King Hank's fixer who manages to annul their marriage, or unfriends them on Facebook as we call it today. Enter stage left, Elizabeth I. Annie B's red-headed stepchild who goes on to become one of our greatest monarchs ever after accidentally sitting on the throne whilst looking for loose change underneath. Meanwhile, Hamlet VIII famously spends his days divorcing or beheading any woman he fancies, and some he doesn't, in search of a male heir. Oh, sorry, no. That was another playwright entirely. My bad. 
News Bang, sifting through the dregs of deceit to find the diamonds of truth. Here to provide you with an expert forecast is our weatherman, Shakanaka Giles. He's all too eager to usher in the frosty splendour and wintry whimsy. A brisk start to the day in London, with a frosty bite as cold as a freshly opened freezer. Don't forget your scarf, or you'll be shivering like a plucked chicken. Across the pond in New York, it's time to bring out those big winter coats. The wind will be whipping up a storm just like an overzealous baker kneading dough. Keep your eyes peeled for snowflakes drifting down, each one unique, much like your fingerprints. Now, let's hop over to Paris. Ah, la belle France. The city of love is expecting a drizzle so fine, it's like a lover whispering sweet nothings in your ear. Just remember to pack that umbrella if you're planning an evening stroll along the Seine. And finally, our Aussie friends are in for a treat. Sydney is set to sizzle under clear skies and scorching temperatures. Slap on that sunscreen and hit the beach for some fun in the sun. In summary then, icy London mornings, NYC winter wonderland, Parisian whispers of rain, and Sydney sizzling under summer skies. And that's all the weather. Nineteen seventy-one. In a dramatic turn of events, the African continent has become the stage for a political thriller that has left even the most seasoned diplomats in a state of bewilderment. The year is 1971, and Uganda's president, Milton Obote, has been deposed by none other than Idi Amin in a coup d'etat. While Obote was away from home soil, Amin seized the opportunity to install himself as the nation's military dictator. This audacious move marked the onset of Amin's brutal regime that would last for eight long years. As our story unfolds, we turn to our correspondent Brian Bastable for further insights into this extraordinary tale of power and intrigue. We are here in Uganda, where it's all going down. As I step out of my tank, the ground shakes like a jelly on a spaceship as the forces of good and evil collide. The man who was once president, Milton Obote, is now a man without a country. The men who once worked for him are now lying dead on the ground with their brains oozing from their skulls like thick tomato soup from an overfilled mug. Idi Amin has seized power in this brutal coup d'etat that will change the face of Africa forever. He stands there with his giant gun pointing into the air while behind him his troops cheer and dance to some strange tribal beat that only they can hear. This is not just about politics or power anymore. This is about two men so obsessed with themselves that they will do anything to be top dog in this place. This is what we call an ego war zone. Welcome to hell. Obote knows he must run if he wants to live through another day, but where does he go, how does he get away? And even if he did escape somehow, how would anyone believe him when he says Amin has gone mad? Well folks, strap yourselves in because you ain't seen nothing yet. 
This is just the beginning of one hell of a ride as these two giants clash swords in a battle that will leave thousands dead and millions more scarred for life. All because two men couldn't share power equally between them. Brian Bastable reporting live from Uganda for Newsbang. Eldum. 2006. The year is 2006, and in a tale that blurs the line between the thrilling world of lucha libre and the grim spectre of serial murder, Juana Barraza, a Mexican professional wrestler known as La Mata Viejitas, was apprehended for the cold-blooded slaying of 16 elderly women. Yet, as the curtains were drawn back on this macabre drama, whispers of further victims began to surface. Estimates now suggest that Barraza's deadly reign may have claimed anywhere between 42 and 48 lives. And with such chilling implications, we turn to Ken Shit for a deeper dive into this most peculiar case. Greetings, scumbags. I'm Ken Shit, and tonight we're going to dive into the dark heart of humanity, where evil takes the form of a masked wrestler named Juana Barraza, aka La Mata Viejitas. In the year 2006, this vile creature was arrested for the brutal murder of elderly women in Mexico. But let me tell you, folks, this ain't no ordinary serial killer. No, sir. La Mata Viejitas was a professional wrestler, part of the colorful and high-flying world of Lucha Libre. You might think wrestling and murder are two separate worlds, but not for this monster. She combined her love of violence and theatrics to create a killing spree that left the streets of Mexico running red with blood. La Mata Viejitas was sentenced to 759 years in prison for the murders of 16 elderly women, but some experts believe the total number of her victims could be as high as 48. That's right, folks. This demoness may have taken the lives of nearly 50 innocent old ladies. And what's even more sickening is that she did it all while wearing a mask and a flashy wrestling outfit, like some kind of twisted superhero. It's enough to make you want to puke. So, let's raise a glass to the memory of those poor, defenseless women, and let's hope that La Mataviejetas rots in hell for all eternity. This is Ken Shit, signing off from the front lines of humanity's endless battle against evil. 1967. The year is 1967, and the tumultuous world of South Vietnamese politics has reached a fever pitch. Nguyen Cao Ki, the leader of the South Vietnamese junta, unceremoniously dismissed his rival, Nguyen Hu Ko, during Ko's diplomatic sojourn. This dramatic turn of events unfolds against the backdrop of South Vietnam's brief yet impactful existence, recognized by the United States and 87 other nations. As we tread carefully through this intricate web of power struggles, let us welcome our esteemed correspondent Hardeman Pesto, who stands ready to elucidate further on the ramifications of this political upheaval. Martin, I'm here in Saigon, where tensions are running high after Prime Minister Nguyen Cao Ki dramatically fired his rival Nguyen Hu Ko while he was away on a diplomatic trip. This raises serious questions about the stability of the South Vietnamese government. So there's been a coup, Pesto? Well, no, not exactly. More of a surprise sacking, you might say. I see. And where exactly are you reporting from? I'm right here in the presidential palace, Martin. Behind me you can see Prime Minister Kai's desk where just hours ago he signed the order to dismiss General Ko. So you have managed to get access inside the presidential palace? That's right, Martin. As you know, I have very good contacts here in Saigon. 
contacts good enough to get you into one of the most heavily guarded buildings in Vietnam when there's just been what is essentially a coup. Absolutely. You forget I know General Kai personally. We play badminton together on Thursdays. You play badminton with the Prime Minister of South Vietnam? Yes, though I have to say his backhand is a bit weak. If he worked on that, he might still be in the Air Force playing badminton all day instead of running the country. Right. And tell me, what racket were you using when you had this chat with the Prime Minister? Oh, just my usual one. A Dunlop green flash. Nice lightweight frame. Good for quick smashes at the net. I meant what did you talk about, not what sporting equipment did you use. But clearly this badminton game exists entirely in your imagination. Where are you actually reporting from? The hotel bar. But the lighting is very similar to the presidential palace. Thank you, Pesto. Back to the badminton court of absurdity for you. News bang. Cutting through the bullshit with a sharp, shiny blade of truth. Tonight we're travelling through time with Polly Beep. Prepare for aviation mishaps in 1990, record-breaking adventures in 1890, and an underwater flight experience in 2010. Hold on to your hats. Hello, travellers of the ages. Welcome to this fine time capsule where we're going to embark on a journey through time. Hold on tight. It's a wild ride. First stop, 1990, where Avianca Flight 52 has just crashed into the picturesque village of Coveneck in New York. Oh dear, the plane ran out of fuel. It's like forgetting your wallet at the petrol station. Catastrophic. If you're on your way to Coveneck via the A1 or A1M, expect some hasty rerouting. Traffic jams are imminent as everyone tries to get a gander at this bird collision. Now swerving over to 1890, Nellie Bly is having herself quite an adventure, circumnavigating the globe in just 72 days. Fancy that. I wouldn't mind if she took my place here for a bit. But enough about me. If you're taking the Pony Express, that's right, no planes yet, watch out for rogue chickens and other creatures who might want to take a ride. They can be quite persistent when they want to be somewhere fast. And finally, zipping up to 2010 with Ethiopian Airlines Flight 409. Tragically, it's not having a smooth flight. It's ended up at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea after taking off from Beirut Airport in Lebanon. Not exactly how anyone wants their holiday plans to go down. If you're flying Addis Ababa Airways today, maybe consider rebooking that trip. You never know when you might end up beneath the waves instead of above them. So there you have it, a quick peek into three different eras of transportation mayhem. Until next time, keep your maps close and your wits closer. Eldum, 2006. Our science correspondent, Calamity Prenderville, has the latest on British innovation in the cosmos with the discovery of a super-Earth exoplanet. Light years, the Milky Way and more await in her report. <laughs> We're about to take a cosmic leap into the past. It's 2006 and British ingenuity has struck again. This time it's not a casserole chain or a digital compact cassette, but a super-Earth exoplanet named Ogle 2005 BLG 390LB. That's right, folks. We've discovered a planet that's not only 21,500 light-years away, but also doesn't appear to be habitable. What a letdown! 
But fear not, for this is British innovation at its finest. The term super-Earth may sound exciting, but it only refers to the planet's mass and tells us nothing about its surface conditions. Still, it's a fancy name, and we love fancy names in Blighty. Now, let's talk about distances. A light year is a unit of length used to express astronomical distances, but who needs units when you can have good old British innovation? Our intrepid explorers use their trusty BBC micros and ZX81s to calculate the distance to this super-Earth. And guess what? It's near the centre of the Milky Way. That's right, our little island has made yet another groundbreaking discovery in the great beyond. The James Webb Space Telescope is expected to discover more exoplanets and provide more information about them. So there you have it, another fantastic discovery from our tiny island. Who knows what we'll find next? A casserole chain on Mars, a digital compact cassette in Jupiter's orbit? Only time will tell. This is Calamity Prenderville from Newsbang, signing off. Newsbang, the daily dose of reality delivered with a smile. Here's Sandy O'Shaughnessy with a regal romp through royal history. Buckle up for Henry V's roller coaster of marriages and the drama that followed. Nice and easy. Ah, a very good evening to you all. Welcome, welcome, and thrice welcome to the Royal Rendezvous with your old mate, Sandy O'Shaughnessy. The sun may have set on another glorious day in the Emerald Isle, but here at Newsbank Towers, we're just getting started. So grab a cuppa, sit back, and let's delve into the world of regal revelry. Ah. <laughs> now then, folks, let's journey back in time to the year 1533. Do you remember Henry VIII? The man who gave new meaning to the phrase, marriage is a roller coaster ride. He was quite the catch back then, six wives in total. And if that wasn't enough excitement for one king, he also had his heart set on an annulment for his first marriage. Ah. <laughs> Poor Catherine of Aragon must have felt like she was caught in a Game of Thrones plot twist. But hey, at least she got to be queen for a while before being ousted by Anne Boleyn. Ah. <laughs> Speaking of Anne Boleyn, did you know that she secretly married Henry VIII? Talk about keeping it on the down low. They were so hush-hush about it that even I didn't know until now. And what happened next? Well, Anne found herself in hot water and was executed for treason. Talk about royal drama. It's enough to make you wonder if... The crown is based on real events or just a wild imagination run amok. Ah. <laughs> but hey, every cloud has a silver lining, or in this case, another queen waiting in the wings. Enter Elizabeth I, the Virgin Queen herself. She took over after Anne met her maker and went on to rule England with grace and panache. She even managed to navigate the choppy waters of religion during her reign. No small feat considering her father's efforts to separate the Church of England from papal authority. Ah. <laughs> and speaking of authority figures, have you ever noticed how kings and queens seem to be drawn to people named Martin? Martin Luther started the whole Reformation thingy. Talk about making waves. And here we are today with Martin Bang, anchoring our evening show. Coincidence? I think not. Ah. <laughs> So there you have it, another delightful dip into history's vast pool of tales and trivia. Remember folks, life is but a tapestry woven from threads both grand and mundane. 
Keep those letters coming and keep sharing your own stories too, because every tale matters. Until we meet again in tales and tunes, see you later, alligator, in a wild crocodile. Cheerio for now. News bang. The unvarnished truth served raw. Just time for a look at tomorrow's papers. The Independent go with Clinton screams no on the big O question. There's a photo there of the president waving. The Guardian lead with India, Red Republic, Blue Prasad, Green Nehru. There's a picture there of swarms of politicians in Parliament. The male Madagascar wildcat cries for peace at all costs. There's a chart there of peace costing everything. And finally, the Express, eggs found on desert island, with a full colour cover photograph of an egg. That's all from us this evening. If you wish to start listening again immediately, don't turn off your set, but if you want to give your ears a rest, well, they're your ears, and you can do what you like with them, as far as I am concerned. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night. <laughs>